you know, in Boston in our, our beloved Red Sox that we have, they always play <laughs> the dirty water song, right? At all of their games. And that's about the Charles. Oh, and that's awful. Yeah. how so many people, you know, have that association with the Charles. And, and the good news is that's not true anymore. <laughs> Hi, this is Dave Keeler, and welcome to Riverspeak, where we discover rivers through the stories of people that will work to save them. In this episode, the first in a series devoted to new life for big city rivers, we discover the Charles River of Boston and Cambridge through conversation with Laura Jasinski, Executive Director of the Charles River Conservancy. We'll learn about the important work the Charles River Conservancy is doing to protect and improve water quality in the Charles, and to celebrate the river's parks as natural communities to which the people of Boston and Cambridge belong. First, let's get our bearings by learning some basics about the watershed. The Charles River flows 80 miles northeasterly from its headwaters near Hopkinton to Watertown, Cambridge and Boston, and from there into Boston Harbor. The entire Charles River watershed covers an area of about 310 square miles. Today, the Charles River is a vital resource to the greater Boston area and is one of the major sources of recreation for residents. The Lower Charles, the area from Waterton to Boston Harbor, is one of the busiest recreational river segments in the world lined with boathouses, parks and sports fields, jogging paths, and amphitheaters. Water quality and life in the Charles River has historically suffered from industrial contamination and was on a long spiral of degradation ever since Boston's founding in the 1600s, until an extraordinary effort began to reverse that trend in 1995. In this first segment, we'll hear from Laura as she describes the amazing turnaround that's taken place to improve the health of the Charles River over the last 25 years. In the open, you heard Laura reference Boston Red Sox and a song, Dirty Water. It's culturally symbolic of just how infamous the Charles water quality had become. For those unawares of dirty water and its traditional use, a little context is in order. Dirty Water is a song written in the 1960s that became a hit for the Standells, a rock band out of Los Angeles. The song projects a lot of bravado with an amazing, catchy, and hard-driving guitar riff. As the chorus goes, Well, I love that dirty water. Oh, Boston, you're my home. The Sox began playing it back in 1997 as a victory song and is now traditionally played following every home game win at Fenway Park. I suppose it's a symbol of rising victorious above the fray. So, well, I think you get the drift. So here's Laura to give us the good news about the Charles River. We pick up the conversation with the reference to Boston's beloved Red Sox. You know, in Boston, in our, our beloved Red Sox that we have, they always play <laughs> the dirty water song, right? At all of their games. And that's about the Charles. Oh, and that's awful. Yeah. how so many people, you know, have that association with the Charles. And, and the good news is that's not true anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were, um, the, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, gives 
report cards to rivers the same way you, you would give one in a classroom. And um, in 1995, the Charles was getting a D. So it was certainly um, worthy of that dirty water song and title. Um, and that was also the year where the Charles River Initiative was launched by the EPA, an effort to make the river swimmable and fishable again. Um, and, and what that led to was um, a lot of in public and private investment in infrastructure improvements. So separating the um, combined sewer outflows, um, getting rid of those. So separating our um, stormwater runoff from our sewage runoff. Um, so, you know, if you had a big rainstorm, it would also wash a whole lot of other things into the river. So over time, decades, that has vastly improved. And now we're, you know, more in the range of kind of a, a B and even up to an A minus um, in the river grade uh, more recently. Wow. So that's a dramatic turnaround that happened in a short amount of time. I asked Laura if she could fill us in on what that effort actually looked like. It started certainly at the policy level, right? A mandate to, to do some of these um, improvements and then, you know, real buy-in from um, municipal and other public and private partners and a lot of advocacy um, from groups like ours and also from the Charles River Watershed Association um, and Conservation Law Foundation in Boston. There was a lot of um, effort on their parts to, to push for these improvements to, to see that dramatic um, improvement. And so now we are at a point in the river where from a, from a bacteria standpoint, um, the river is, is swimmable, um, in, in certain places, uh, most days of the year, there's other, you know, factors that play into that and, and regulations because swimming is not allowed in the Charles for, for safety reasons right now. But, um, there has been that incredible improvement, um, in a, in a relatively short amount of time. So I always think it's insightful to find out how people in conservation got into that line of work and what drives their passion. For Laura, she was first interested in architecture, but soon found her interest taking shape in the art and public spaces between the buildings. I was actually you know, much more interested in the spaces in between the buildings where you, know, you have these really you know, unique and natural interactions with people that you might not otherwise have the chance to meet. And so I left my job in architecture and took an internship with the Rose Kennedy Greenway Conservancy, a local nonprofit in Boston that was just getting up and running um, and never looked back. I got hired full time and have now been working um, in public space management and conservation for um, about 12 years now. I've had the chance to work for the Greenway, for the trustees of reservations, which is a statewide organization in Massachusetts, um, and now with the Charles River Conservancy. Public parks are kind of the, the places you get to see the best of everything. Um, and really what I think they should be and, and what I've had the chance to work in is have them be a platform for people to show their talents, whatever that might be. So I've um, had the chance to work on some really incredible public art projects um, or cultural festivals, and then also you know the ecological restoration and climate change side of things. So it's really... I think where kind of art and science and um, innovation all have a chance to, to really meet with the environment in these public spaces. In this next segment, Laura talks about the Charles River Conservancy. 
their programs and projects, the communities they serve, and their vision for what lies ahead. The Charles River Conservancy, we've been around for um, 20 years now or just over. We were founded in the year 2000. Um, and we are a private partner to the state agency that is a state parks agency, the Department of Conservation and Recreation in Massachusetts. And the area that we focus on is what we think of as the urban Charles. So that's from um, the city of Watertown in Massachusetts through Cambridge and Boston. And that's about 10 miles of river. And we work on both sides of the river and really see um, the watershed and the river as an extension of the parks that line it and the public space that surrounds it. Our mission is to make you know, the Charles River and its park a well-maintained network of natural urban places that really invite and engage everyone in their use and in their care. And we do this a couple of different ways. Um, one of our goals is to uh, actively engage the river. So again, you know, thinking of the river as an extension of the parks, introducing people to opportunities to, to kayak um, or other types of paddling. Um, one of our goals, which I can talk about in a bit, is our um, goal of getting people swimming in the river again. Um, so really, you know, kind of crossing that land water barrier and, and having people experience all that the Charles River offers. We also see the parks as a, as a place for cultural life. Um, and so that's, you know, thinking about how the parks are the extension of a community center or someone's, you know, living room, um, and also how it can celebrate the different um, people and cultures that, that live along the river. And then we also do a lot of advocacy work. The river is obviously a very, you know, the center of the greater Boston area has Boston on one side and the city of Cambridge and places like um, Kendall Square, you know, huge innovation hub on the other. Um, and so there's a, a lot of development and a lot of activity happening. And so we, we see ourselves as a voice for the river and parks in a lot of those development projects. All that we do in our work is through partnerships, whether that's with another local um, friends or nonprofit group that's focused on maybe one specific park within that 10 mile stretch, like Magazine Beach Park in Cambridge, which is the city's second largest park, or Herder Park over in the Alston neighborhood of Boston, or whether that's with you know a local um, nonprofit in the arts or in education. We're really looking to kind of grow partnerships and bring their expertise to, to these public spaces. This past year, you know, despite all the challenges of the pandemic that we've lived through, right. uh, we were actually able to uh, move two of our, our biggest projects forward. One of them is an ecological restoration of a site along the river called Hell's Half Acre, which is just, I think, such a fun and interesting name. Um, it's a place that I've heard a lot of stories from our audience that they used to play there as a child and, you know, they would find, they, you know, kind of find different artifacts um, from life. It was a, kind of a bit of a a dumping ground, but also a play area for a lot of kids. Um, but And now it's really overrun by um, invasive species, unfortunately. We're seeing a lot of um, invasives like knotweed um, and phragmites um, encroach along the river. And so we're um, pursuing a multi-year project with our state partner to, um, to, get, to try to get the control of those invasives, which will be, you know, an ongoing project to, to maintain if we can um, use some targeted herbicide and a lot of manual labor to, to pull out a lot of the, the species. Um, so that's that's one project we've moved forward this year. And the other is the installation of the river's first human-made floating wetland. Um, and this is a really exciting project. It's the first of its kind in the river to install 
Um, this island, it's a, it's a pilot project in partnership with Northeastern University on the Boston side of the river. We're working with one of their PhD candidates in environmental engineering to study how this wetland can offer um, habitat value um, to the river and how that might help um, con continue to improve the water quality of the river, specifically to combat the algal blooms that we're seeing increase. So our goal with this project is to quantify um, and create almost a sizing tool for these wetlands and how they can both um, create habitat for zooplankton, which are the, the predators of algae. So I, I think of these, you know, like Pac-Men are allowing more Pac-Men to live underneath, um, you know, in the root system of this wetland and, and eat the algae and help control the problem. Um, and also to um, absorb the nutrient pollution that we continue to see in, in the river, though it has decreased over time. But um, looking at these wetlands as another kind of tool in the resiliency toolbox, particularly in areas where we have seawalls now, where we um, are very urbanized and no longer have, have riverbanks, but instead have kind of hard edges, if you will. We got this project started with our partner at Northeastern and also with um, the Sasaki Foundation. Sasaki is a multidisciplinary design firm, um, and they're based in Watertown, though they work all over the world, and they have a foundation side of their company. And um, we were a recipient of their first round of design awards, which we got some funding um, from that and also the opportunity to work in their incubator space and with some of their landscape architects and urban designers who have installed wetlands um, in other projects, so like on the Chicago River. And so we were able to use their expertise to think about um, this project, you know, the design and also the permitting um, was a big piece of that. And we've also been really fortunate to get um, pro bono um, help on the engineering from both marine engineers throughout the life of this project. So we definitely had a lot of um, really great minds working on, you know, what is a 700 square foot wetland right now, but that we hope could lead to more of these in the river. One of the the visions of our organization is to have a swim park in the Charles. There are, you know, good examples of this in places like, you know, the Netherlands and also in Paris. Um, and we've been able to collaborate with some of those, those folks that have been design, behind the design efforts of these um, uh, mobile or seasonal swim facilities. You know, they're modular, so you could um, effectively think of like a colander that you might, you know, put in the water where you'd have... Right. Um, you know, a solid bottom like you would have in a pool and you'd have permeable sides that would let the river water flow through and then kind of a decking structure that would create access to a swim area, you know, off a shoreline um, on the Charles River. And we'd, we'd love to see this, you know, as a representation of reaching that ultimate goal of swimmable water quality, um, but also for access, you know, to the river um, and the connection that it creates. You know, so many people, you know, particularly in, in the Boston area have these, you um, connections to places, you know, on Cape Cod or on the North Shore because they have these memories of um, swimming and, and recreating on the beaches um, on the shorelines there. Um, and so they care about those places and they think about their actions and how um, they think about environmentalism. And so we want to kind of create that same connection with the Charles River. It's, there's a lot of, of boaters that certainly have that appreciation, but the more people that we can really get connected from you know, a fun and, and honestly emotional way to the river, I think the more successful we're going to be in building resilient waterfronts and resilient communities. The Charles River Conservancy, as part of our effort to 
bring swimming back to the river um, has held an event called City Splash, um, which uh, we get a permit from the state and we do water testing to make sure that the, the water quality is um, safe on that day. And, and we create a safe area for people to actually jump in the river and there's lifeguards and, um, you can jump off a dock and it's just, you know, really introducing people to that, um, experience of swimming in the Charles can be really transformative. And that's kind of one of the first steps we've taken towards our goal of more regular swimming in the Charles down the road. Um, our first event we held was in 2013 and that was, the first public river swimming event in over 50 years in the, in the river. So um, wow. we're hopeful that um, soon we can, we can bring it back. Obviously there's again, other challenges today with, you know, events and group sizes, but we're, we're hopeful to bring this event back. Um, if not this summer, the next summer. From a climate change standpoint, you know, the, the algal blooms that we see in the river are really connected to climate change. They're, intensifying because the algae feeds off of, or sorry, cyanobacteria um, feeds off of the warmer water temperatures and also from the nutrient pollution and, you know, intensified storms that we're getting from climate change is basically washing more of that pollution into the river. So we're, we're seeing some new challenges um, with the cyanobacteria. And I use that interchangeably with algae, <laughs> algal blooms, um, and, you know, that, that can be toxic to humans and to animals. So it is a real challenge for recreation and, and particularly thinking about swimmability. Our biggest program and, and really the first program of the Charles River Conservancy is our, our volunteer program. Um, in, a, in a typical year, I would say this year has been anything but typical, but um, yeah. in previous years, um, we bring 2,000 people um, out to the parks um, every year to do projects like trash pickup, invasive species removal, um, and and so really engaging people in the care of the parks as much as the enjoyment of them. And you know we really kind of harness this collective energy of you know single day or you know just a couple of day um, volunteers to to tackle big, bigger projects. So um, we have. Um, used our volunteer corps to restore an amphitheater along the river in Herder Park in Alston um, in partnership with uh, the Friends of Herder Park, um, really bringing volunteers there to fix benches and fix the stage and really clear out um, a lot of kind of underbrush um, from, from what was a really neglected um, but beautiful public amphitheater for many years. Um, and, and since our program started in the year 2002, so just after the founding of the organization, we've worked with nearly 34,000 volunteers, um, which is about the equivalent of 107, um, 107,000 hours of donated labor and, and a value that we estimate around um, $2.2 million. So really um, harnessing that the, the power of volunteers to um, to, you know, not only care, but also kind of renovate and improve the parks along the Charles. In listening to Laura describe her work at the Charles Conservancy, a few things stand out to me. I'm impressed with the Conservancy's vision, not only to look at the river and its surrounding parks and open spaces as a connecting system of natural resources, but to include art and community engagement into their project design. This approach seems to come naturally to Laura, 
and it's placing the Conservancy in a unique position to improve the lives of so many people. 4.9 million people live in the Boston-Cambridge metropolitan area. With every passing day, we become more aware of the importance of having clean water and healthy places to work and play. Projects like the Swimmable Charles and the creation of a floating wetland are not only cool, they're finding important solutions as we adapt to the impacts of climate change. By connecting people to the river, the Conservancy is developing a future wave of river stewards. Ahead, in this final segment with Laura, we hear about a unique park project and discover some of the fun she's had along the way and what she looks forward to. And one of the projects that we're um, thinking about in the future is um, a skate park that's actually um, in North Point Park, again, near the, the dam where the, the Charles meets the harbor. Um, the, the Charles River Conservancy actually led the design and construction of the skate park, uh, which was a, um, a very long project, um, in part because the, the um, site was contaminated and need to be, needed to be remediated. And there was, um, you know, the, designing a skate park is complex and, and all the fundraising, but it, it opened in 2015 and has been one of the most used parks in the state since it opened. And, you know, there's a, a, a community of people that use it that are often kind of pushed out of other spaces, right? If you see a skateboarder in some parks, they're often kind of ushered along, but this is really a place where they can practice their sport. Um, and so we're also thinking about that as a potential hub for public art in a mural. And this is a, a kind of concrete structure and it's um, really built into the infrastructure of the city and has this really um, incredible opportunity to, to host um, other kind of creative outlets. The pandemic, um, we've certainly seen, you know, an uptick in use. You know, we don't have necessarily the the, the data, the statistics, um, some of our, our other um, counterparts and partners have estimated, I think, you know, up to like 60 something percent increased use um, in the parks or, um, you know, it's, it's significant the number of people that are, are using them. And, you know, parks are now your gym and your lunch break and the place where you can maybe see a friend or a family member safely. And so we're, we're certainly seeing increased use and appreciation of public parks, certainly the Charles River and others, you know, in our cities. Um, and so I hope that's a silver lining of the pandemic that we recognize how essential, you know, I hate to, to use that word, which feels like it may have been um, outplayed, but really how essential these spaces are and that we do need to you know, have the right funding streams um, and organizations and, you know, um, support for state agencies to, to care for them and to also um, create new ones and that we need to, you know, carve out space in our cities for, for parks, for places for recreation and for, for fresh air and trees, you know, just um, how important they are to everybody's quality of life. You know, I'd like to think that the, the most rewarding thing is still ahead of me with, um, you know, the, the floating wetland and thinking about expansion of that and what that could actually mean from um, you know, a, a recreation standpoint, an access standpoint for the river and also for water quality health. Um, I do have to say that, you know, through you know, my career so far in working in public spaces, I've acquired some, I guess, could be rather odd skills. You know, at one point, um, I became a certified carousel operator because we needed to have someone on staff be able to run the 
carousel we designed and built on the Greenway, and I've gotten my aerial lift license um, as you know part of a, a mural painting project. Um, but and I also have to say that the I did also miss out on I think what could have been the most fun um, when we built the wetland. We had to tow it downriver from the the park we built it to its mooring, and I missed the opportunity to ride the river, to ride the wetland down the river, and I certainly won't miss that chance again. I think it's time we let Laura get back to work on the Charles. We're sure lucky to have her and her colleagues looking out for these special places. I'm betting that Floating Wetland Project is going to be wildly successful and there'll be many more opportunities for Laura to ride those wetlands as they're moored into place. I hope you enjoyed Laura's story and discovering the Charles River Dirty No More. To find out more or support Laura's work at the Charles River Conservancy, go to thecharles.org. All episodes of Riverspeak Podcasts, along with links, podcast notes, and photos, are available on our website at riverspeak.org. Riverspeak Podcast is produced by my home studio in Sebastopol, California, and hosted by Buzzsprout. You can listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon directories. All rivers have stories that ripple. I'm Dave Kaler. Be well and do good work.